This is James Fox, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. I'd like to thank Laird Superfood for sponsoring this episode. My nutrition has changed a lot over the last year since I decided to look after myself a little bit more, not just for me, but my family too. One constant though is my coffee, and you'll know I'm a big coffee lover. It's not just part of my morning, but my daily routine. Laird Superfood and their creamers have been a bit of a game changer for me and taking my coffee game to a whole new level. It's the perfect way to not only fuel your morning, but your whole day with organic, natural, plant-based ingredients. And for me, as a diabetic, there is no sugar from highly refined coffee corn syrup. There's also a huge variety of snacks, baking mixes and protein options for you to try, all made with plant-based ingredients to keep you charged for whatever life takes you. Are you ready to feel more energised, focused and supported? Go to lairdsuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunset to sunrise. Use promo code THATUFO at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. And Nathan on Arrow performance yeah, review. It's the Arrowfint in the room. Um, yeah, so uh, I've been waiting on that one. I should appreciate that, Eddie. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think you can imagine it was a political, a uh, little bit of a political gamesmanship happening there when this whole balloon debacle took place and the executive, uh, you know, sort of making the decision to implement an executive. A group working group to tasking an official group to deal with this. Um, it, it looks better for the executive to have that initiative and have the, you know, kind of we're taking action, we're doing something. And you, you saw this in the rhetoric too. The, the politicians were saying, wait, we already had something like it. Why don't we just fund the thing that we've by, on a bipartisan basis already created and let's just build out the framework that we've already had in motion from the executive perspective, it's like, well, you know, we need the political points here. We need to look strong. We need to look like we have it. We have uh, our arms around this, that we're in control. And so they're implementing something that, that, that sounds like the, I think an executive would to do, you know, like that, that's like the classic thing an executive would do. Oh, uh, you know, you've built this awesome thing down in the lower department. Well, I'm going to steal it. And it's my idea now. So we're doing it. And the whole company's on board. And in the lower department, people are like, we've been talking about this for years. So I think that that's uh, a little bit of what, what's happened here. If I could kind of use that as a corporate analogy, it ultimately is a win overall, I think, because it is a higher level, higher profile uh, effort here. Uh, I would also, though, I think, you know, ask folks to consider, you know, what is wrapped up in, in, in the entire uh, exercise of disclosure. I and mean, this is obviously a huge topic we could you know, go down into here. But, uh, you know, where does it come from? Who should it come from? How is it going to happen? And what what is it really about? What does it really mean? And I think, uh, you know, I take very seriously some of the uh, insight that I've gotten from uh, folks like Frank Milburn, who've talked about this from a, a state level uh, perspective, you know, if, if we're talking about the kind of technology that is literally paradigm shattering and, and game changing, uh, our government, any state government is not going to, you know, show all of its cards uh, right, right away. It would be irresponsible of them to do that. So I think we have to, in some ways, temper our expectations from the state in terms of what they're going to ultimately share with us. Um, I do want the state to take it seriously, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing happen. But I would caution folks to sort of put all of their hope, all of their eggs in, in a government disclosure basket, because I don't know that that's really going to happen. And I would also argue that, that maybe that it shouldn't happen that way, that there's something about disclosure, about this phenomena generally, that is, that is not something that is going to uh, come from the top down. In a way, it has to come from the bottom. It has to come from a an individual uh, level and, and permeate, percolate up through the society. And, you know, this is interesting because I, I want to make a quick tie-in to, to Chris Bledsoe because and many other experiencers who've had, had encounters, it, it's a deeply personal experience that they have that changes the way they look at the world. It changes the way they look at their family and, and their lives. And they feel a sense of, of change, but it also causes them, it catalyzes them to want to, to want to act in a broader way. You know, one of the very first things Chris did when he had these encounters, he started planting a garden in his yard. He thought he was going to have to feed his neighborhood because he, he thought literally the world was ending. He was going to have to kind of provide for people in his community. So you, know, you can see how that individual change led to other changes, uh, looking 
you guys, oh, Ryan and Dan are still there. Nathan's gone. Um, Someone's we'll hacking if, the feed. Yeah, Nathan was making too good a point there. Well, we'll give Nathan a few seconds to come back on. Do any of you want to come in on that so we can just keep kind of going? Yeah, I, so recently, uh, you know, I've said it a few times, I've been watching Three Body Problem series. You know, that adaptation was out there. And something that Nathan said was actually really interesting in regard to that. So something that the species does in that show is it sends something to us to mess with science. And the whole point of them doing that is to make people on Earth question scientists, to make them question the narratives of people and to make people look crazy so that when, you know, they're told stuff about the visitors, people just don't believe it. it it's essentially, you know, like I, like I mentioned with the cognitive manipulation stuff, it's information warfare on a whole different level than we're used to. You nudge a few people here and there and, and you know, you make people switch off to, to certain causes and things like that. Um, just look at the, you know, the Israeli space chief that spoke a few years ago. He said some really interesting things about like galactic kind of federations and things like that. And it seems so out there that a lot of people just switched off to it. What if he was telling the truth? You know, I'm not saying that he was, yeah. but what if? Um, and it's just too much for us. So it kind of speaks to the need to do it slowly and deliberately. Uh, but it makes me wonder who, who could tell the truth that people these days would trust? Because it's not the government. And a lot of people don't believe in science. We've seen that through through COVID. So where, where would it come from? I think any of us pick or choose, don't we, as to what's the, the kind of what's that point with this topic? And I find this on the Discord chat really interesting with some of the guys who'll be like, and, and some of the girls in there, where people will be making a point and really interested and then the, they'll go to abductions and then really out there experiences and people will say, nah, that's where the topic kind of loses me. And it's that breaking point for them of that's too much. And I think that the the Israeli stuff about the Galactic Federation and it's when it starts to sound too Star Trekky. I think I start to go, no, I, you've lost me. But like you say, why not? As, as someone who's got like a story, I seen a UFO that was the size of like a Ferris wheel, you know, not that far from me in the mid nineties. People would just think I make that up anyway. But I have to think and go, well, that sounds ridiculous. Because if someone told me that story and I had never seen that myself, I would think, yeah, no, not for me. So you have to give people that, well, okay, if that, that's your story, as incredible as it sounds, and I've mentioned before, you know, like the folks that'll sit on uh, one of the documentaries from last year that had like the hybrid baby stuff, and I start to get a little bit, ah, uh, when it comes to that, and people say they've been impregnated and it's been taken away, and there's this hybrid race living on the planet, As and Nathan's came back on right at that point, and he's going to be like, well, where did this go? But uh, just talking about Nathan, those those points in the UFO topic where it's it's enough for you, and you, you struggle to really not believe, but hold credibility in certain aspects of it. People have different areas where they have to go no for me that that's kind of enough dan had mentioned the galactic federation stuff before just but yeah he'd picked up on a point uh, that you made talking about the three body problem and one of the species dan what was it just off the back of what nathan had said yeah so one, one of the species in it sends something to earth that manipulates science and essentially makes scientists sound crazy so that people stop trusting it um and then when it comes to scientists talking about life out there people just don't believe them so, so essentially the point we were getting at is that, you know, people don't trust the government, people don't trust science as we've seen in the last few years. So, so who is an authority for this? And, and Andy rightfully said that, you know, we each kind of have a different source of authority, but it, it's a really interesting discussion point, I thought. Yeah, completely. And I apologize for that. Uh, it's having a storm here, but um, uh, you know, all of it, all of it is crazy, right? I mean, that's the thing. And I, I think that, um, you know, I try to I try to take a perspective of, of looking at history and looking at kind of paradigm shifts that happen in history and, and, and what that must have been like for those that were on the fringes of of understanding the world. Um, people who like Galileo, you know, a great example, who, who had this understanding, this insight about the world that was totally different than everything around him, the world that he grew up in. And, you know, it takes a very long time for those insights to permeate and, and, you know, spread around the rest of the, of society. And, uh, and until they do, you are the crazy person, you know, you are, you are out, out there, you are on the fringe. 
which is not to say that every person on the fringe is has some amazing insight about reality. Um, but it does say that 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 that's how it would happen, right? So that that consensus reality isn't just. I think we've gotten accustomed to this, right? That that the way in which we know things is just going to incrementally grow because science has the scientific method has taught us that's how knowledge grows. It's just this incremental expansion of information, and it's very predictable and it's very safe and comfortable, and and that's just how it works. And we're all we're all nodding along because that's how we've lived. We've lived that experience. I've lived that experience. That's how it works. But the truth is, like, if you think about how big the universe is, like it's it's the amount of hubris that you would have to have to say, like, well, yeah, I guess we've kind of cracked it now. So our, our awareness going forward is always going to be this neat, clean, incre incremental progress. And we're never going to be blindsided. We're never going to be surprised that we may have it all wrong. And I think that's what the phenomenon is really saying quite frankly, is that what we what we commonly look at as reality and the way things work isn't quite right, that it's interrupting, it's it's perturbing our understanding of how things are. And the storm might have just got Nathan again there, but I, I think we'll, we'll leave his point there and we'll get him back in. I'm going to move on because I think this will fit nicely into some of the stuff we were talking about there in terms of, oh, Nathan, we, we just lost you. Um, but you, you, at the point you'd made, it sounded kind of nice to round off there. I'll move on uh, just when you'd cut off and uh, come in with Ryan. Uh, Peter wanted to know about Gary Nolan's comments he'd made recently on a podcast. I believe it was UAP Studies um, about bios, uh, shadow biosphere. Um, and he basically said, Gary Nolan claims he has seen data from a couple of groups where they have had extraordinary interactions with something apparently in some sort of experiment or test, they managed to once, it couldn't repeat, but they saw once that something basically was communicating with them. Um, I don't know if any of you saw that comment. That was the gist of it. Gary Nolan, for me, is one of those incredibly credible individuals, someone I listen when he speaks, and I don't think he just throws out statements, you know, just for the sake of it, to give himself a laugh. I don't think he's that type of guy. Um, as, as wonderful a sense of humor he has, what are your thoughts on that? And I suppose if you haven't heard those comments, it'd be a bit of speculation, but as to the the who and the what would be involved in that. Oh, you're on mute. Lol. There we go. Uh, I haven't looked much into this concept of the biosphere. However, I think this kind of speaks to this larger... Uh, I guess, theory that a lot of people have posed of uh, if the phenomena has been there all along right next to us. We've heard people like Elizondo talk about this or Gary Nolan or um, Jacques Vallée even. Uh, this idea of uh, something being there all along and us not really knowing it. Um, so I think that's really interesting that Gary would bring something like that up and um, and, and pose those theories and even go as far as to say experiments have been done to try to uh, unlock that or, or find that something that's been right next to us all this yeah. time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's really fascinating. I, I'd, I'd really want to look more into it before I make any actual uh, uh, thoughts or, or formulated opinions on it. But yeah, I, I think, again, it kind of speaks to this broader idea that the phenomena itself doesn't just always come from above or even below. It, it could be all around us all the time, and we're just getting these small glimpses every now and again. And um, yeah, yeah, I find it all fascinating, but I am in no place to comment any further there than that on it, I think. I'd like to thank Paperlike for sponsoring this episode. I've had my Paperlike on the iPad now for a few months and wonder already how I ever done without it. One of the biggest differences for me is how much better the iPad screen looks. The reflection without the Paperlike on long train journeys or in the office was pretty bad. But now watching movies and TV shows is a far more pleasant experience. There just isn't that shine bouncing off the screen. Taking notes and writing podcast shows is also transformed. As it feels like it says, I am writing onto paper thanks to the nano dot technology tiny microbeads designed to add superior stroke precision when you drag the apple pencil across the screen perfect for designing your next hobby balloon to be shot down by the u.s military 
iKid. Paperlike is perfect for anyone who owns an iPad and an Apple Pencil. It's a must-have. They really should put it in with iPads. I'd love to see them get that kind of deal. You do get a set of two when you buy it, so you always have the spare. It's genuinely made me use my iPad more than I did before, so it's given my existing technology a brand new lease of life. To pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com forward slash that UFO, click buy Paperlike and select your iPad size. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com forward slash that UFO to get started. For me, and there wasn't much more to it, Ryan, than that that comment, he wouldn't give any details, obviously, as to who it was and what had happened, but just that, that he saw some incredible data. Dan, I'll come to you. It made me think immediately, Skinwalker Ranch, NIDS type situation where have and I think I asked Lou and Brandon Fugel and stuff about this as well have they ever tried to communicate with whatever it was and was it successful and we've heard from George Knapp and others about you know various games and stuff being left out and things have been kind of played with toyed with messed about and but this sounded a bit further and more technically advanced than that yeah it's the shadow biosphere is such an interesting conversation because we're we're constantly finding these new biospheres. Um, I think it was like 1850s, uh, a doctor, I want to say Samuelweiss, um, he, he was the guy that came up with the basic idea of washing your hands before you do surgery. Before that point, doctors were losing people left, right, and center because they didn't realize the germs existed. You know, that, that was a shadow biosphere that we uncovered. You know, my, my mom, when she was growing up, she, she used cleaning solutions that would leave 80% of what modern day cleaning solutions uh, would kill on the table. And she didn't care. She didn't know that it was there. She didn't interact with it. She didn't think about it. And, and now, you know, she just wants to kind of, uh, what, what's the, like, just bleach the whole house, you know, because of this biosphere that exists that she didn't know about 50 years ago. And she wants to deal with it. Uh, it it's really interesting. Like, life isn't what we think. We're constantly expanding our definitions and ideas about what exists and what can exist. Uh, scientists now are talking about, you know, the multiverse, about dimensions and what kind of is at the bottom of the universe. And, and there's some ideas that, you know, it's just information based and, and we're kind of in a holographic representation of that. So if life could be in just that information, what does that look like? How do we talk to that when we make things like general AI? Is that what we're making? Can, can it get away from the computer and just live in this basic level of the the universe and, and interact with people that that kind of stuff would lead to encounters that peter lavender uh kind of hinted at where if there was a being like that that came to the planet and we all had a simultaneous dream of contact uh and mm. then, then that denotes contact you know like what is communication the, these definitions are things that we need to kind of start thinking about um does the tic tac you know reacting to David Fravor, does that constitute communication? Uh, I'd say so, but some people would say, no, not at all. We, we live in a dimension that I, I think I, I might get this wrong, but it's three of space, one of time. You change that equation in any way, something else could live there. And that space could be a space that it can only function in. So how would we interact with that? How would they build machines that worked at our level? And, and that just takes me to thinking about the idea of secret machines or, or as, as if you want to expand on that, secreted machines. To, to interact at our level or a, a smaller space or a bigger space, we would have to build machines in that space. So maybe a wormhole isn't a doorway. Maybe it's a manufacturing point to, to create something that can operate in our reality. Uh, this subject, I, I love it because it kind of gets so sci-fi and, and you, yeah. mean you get to kind of, you know, just wax lyrical on it. Uh, so I'll leave it there. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting considering what communication with other beings could look like. It gets very Ant-Man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Quantumania. Yeah, obviously the, the latest one where, you know, he's been shrunken down but gets big when he's small and all that kind of stuff and yeah they were trying to talk about that in the film and uh but yeah nathan and yourself well we've got a good connection still as well it looks like all's good you're back uh shadow biosphere comments gary nolan saying he's seen data from a few groups any thoughts on that yeah yeah i just would echo what dan said and and uh and ryan as well the the and this kind of you know obviously fits along with the point i was making that you know, we're going to be interrupted by uh, something that we're not expecting, essentially. 
um, that we'll have discoveries that will come at us from from sort of vectors that we're we're not prepared for, and um, those will result in some pretty tectonic changes in the way we understand who we are and our place in the universe and all those things. Um, I think AI is already starting to kind of give us some hints there that there is a lot going on that we don't quite understand. Um, the way that it can kind of synthesize information and repackage that and provide it to us. Uh, you can only imagine the uh, amount of information that are that exists in the human library right now. And uh, so many disciplines that never talk to each other, that never have any interaction whatsoever. But now we have a platform which can look at that information, look for similarity, draw new conclusions that have never been drawn just by connecting some of these pieces of re research and insight. Uh, and I think that that's um, really exciting, but it's also going to be very destabilizing, just like it would be when we encounter a shadow world that we didn't know was there the entire time. I mean, wait, you're telling me germs are everywhere. Well, do I, how, how afraid should I be? You know, how, <laughs> what do I need to do? Are they going to assault me? You know, what, what's happening there? And so I think that, but we learn to live with them. That's the le lesson from the germ discovery. We learn to coexist with them in ways where we can preserve a sense of who we are, but we've integrated that, that awareness into our understanding. And I think that's where we are headed. Uh, but the integration with this topic, whatever this is, I think is going to be uh, profound and, and, and it's an amazing time to be alive. So it doesn't sound like you prescribe to the old germ threat narrative that is uh, purported out there by people. Um, you're mm -hmm. more peaceful, uh, coincide, love and light germs. The love and light germs, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. You don't believe in Domestos, uh, any of those uh, bleach products that are out there? Ultimately, the germs are good for us, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can kill too many of them, can't you? <laughs> um, but do you know what? And some of the stuff you said there, Nathan, I don't know if you've saw, Dan, I'm guessing you will have, and Ryan, I don't know if you will have, um, uh, Theory of Everything, Kurt Dry Mungle's recent interview with Leslie Keen. And yeah, Ryan, you're saying you've seen it as well. I wasn't sure. She talked about in 10 years' time how different she thinks the world's going to be given sources she's spoken to. And I know Ross Coulthart has said various things like this as well, that she mentioned geopolitically but also in terms of the ufo topic and discoveries that are going to be made and whatnot that it's going to be very difficult for us to have the same way of life we have now given things that will come out we'll discover and just the way the world will go is again do you think that very much pertains to the discoveries around the ufo topic uaps uh yeah um I, you know this is a tricky one right i think all of us we've talked to enough experiencers, we've read enough encounters where we are a little bit, uh, I'm trying to think of the right phrasing, there's a little bit of fatigue to this sort of, uh, you know, cataclysm um, narrative, which I think is the subtext of what she's getting at there. Um, so it's nothing new. Uh, we've heard that uh, before over and over. Um, so the way I look at that, though, is that um, there's something true to this insight of of endings. Um, endings have been a part of our story for a long time. Uh, apoc apocalyptic endings are part of most of our mythologies. Um, there's something ingrained in the human psyche, if you will, that that you know it, whether it's just a existential dread or not, I don't know. Uh, but it's a part of who we are. And uh, I think we need to wrestle with both the macro idea of that and the personal idea of that, uh, because the reality is one day the world does end for you, right? <laughs> the world literally ends uh, as you know it and, uh, and, and something else, you know, lays beyond that. And so whether that's happening globally or happening individually in a way is in some ways kind of irrelevant. Um, and I think we need to maybe not worry so much about how it ends and focus on who we are in the face of that ending. And that that's to me the, the biggest takeaway to the whole thing. Dan, Ryan, one of you want to come back in on that? Again, Leslie's comments. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on it briefly. I mean, I did catch that part of the conversation. I think it was towards the end, how appropriate, of the uh, the mm. interview and I, it's weird, you know, I've, I've met with Leslie, I, I've had conversations with her, we all have, and that was one of the, the, the first times I've really seen her um, talk about something so kind of 
definitive or or almost uh, uh, sobering or sombering, sombering even. And um, and that kind of brings me back to you know, Kurt also asked her if what would the public think if they knew the amount of stuff you knew about all this? And that's been asked of Elizondo and, yeah. and all these other people who allegedly have more information than the public has. And they all sort of say the same thing. And is, are they feeding off one another or do they all really personally believe um, if the public knew what was really going on with the phenomena, um, it would be a very sombering revelation. And, and this is kind of what I'm looking at right now. It's not going to be the answers we want. It's not going to be the answers that um, a lot of people expected. It's probably going to be far more uh, complex and, and possibly even disturbing, but um, also uh, paradigm shifting. Like Nathan said, I think, you know, every story has an end and, and eventually all, all of us are going to come face to face with that um, in our own lives. Um, it's a matter of, like you said, how you integrate that into your life and how you live that journey and 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 pursue, I guess, that mystery rather than what is it? But how, when is it going to happen? When is the end? Or um, is, is it going to be apocalyptic? Uh, I, I personally can't live my life that way, um, thinking that way. So, yeah, it, it was interesting to hear Leslie talk like that. I've never really heard her talk like that in an interview before. Mm-hmm. I have no absolutely no idea what she could have meant by it other than, you know, we're all going to have to face some very hard truths when the truth does eventually out on a lot of this stuff. And um that that I don't look at it as good or bad. I look at it as it's it's a learning process and it's where we go from there. Uh so yeah, yeah. I, I think it was it was interesting and um yeah, just it, it not the Leslie I know and not the Leslie that I think a lot of us hear a lot of the time. So that was interesting. Dan, let me, just before you make your point on it, I'll, I'll frame the question to you in this way that if anyone's out there and you think, oh my God, this is like apocalyptic in the terms of, you know, Armageddon type, Independence Day, end of the world type scenarios, would Leslie Kane, Ross Coulthard, Lou Elizondo and any anyone in the past, present or future who's going to speak about those types of events happening if they knew about those being truly world-ending, would they be wasting their time writing books or giving us any of their time sitting on podcasts or speaking at conferences if they knew that was coming? I, I don't think so. If it was going to be, you know, that sort of Terminator 2 Judgment Day scenario, but more of a, like you say, paradigm shift, there's going to be a way of thinking that changes, aspects of a way of life changes, or do you think they are just nice enough to give us our time in the face of impending doom? I, I would like the uh, the time of day, so I know whether to get up early to you know do my hair stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> it would be it would be good instead of just like the month. I, I want to know exactly when. Yeah. Um, but you're totally right. Re- you know, re- revelations they're they're new beginnings. They're shifts. They're not they're not endings. And where I currently am in in Mexico, something has become very very clear to me. Uh, the encounter between the Maya and the conquistadors um, is is often spoken about as, you know, when an advanced species comes in, uh, they wipe out the indigenous species. That's not true. They're still here. Their ancestors are still here. They're still practicing the rituals. They didn't go away. Life transformed. And it transformed for the invaders, too. What happened, you know, like a whole bunch of people switched sides and, and loved the way of life here and wanted to preserve it. And, and now the culture that you have is this kind of mishmash of two things and, and resulted in something that neither side thought they, they would ever be a part of. And, and I think that subtlety is worth considering. You know, like we say, it's, it's not an ending. It's a new beginning. It's a transformation into a way of life that, that you were not accustomed to before. Science often comes from left field. It's not a comfortable kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, we've got the PS5 now, so I know there's going to be a PS10. Uh, chances are, you know, Nintendo will make another Wii and, and totally blow the, the competition out of the water in a way that they weren't expecting. Um, while you guys were talking about it, I just uh, chucked into uh, the, the AI Bing thing. Uh, I asked it what some of the cutting edge sciences that we should be paying attention to. 
And it gave me a few examples, synthetic biology, quantum computing, brain computer interfaces, anonymous systems, geoengineering, synthetic chemistry, space exploration. All those things are manipulating space and matter. So imagine if you didn't need to go to a supermarket anymore. Imagine if you didn't need to sit on a website and fill your basket and then order it. You could just think about these things and they would materialize in front of you. It would totally change the world. And in, in ways that we're not expecting, this AI stuff is already doing that for us, right? Like people are talking about the end of certain job roles and things like that and how we serve the people who were doing those roles before. Do, do they just whittle away in society or do we support them in another way? It's worth remembering as well that, and I'm going to quote the, the great It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia here, um, that science is a liar sometimes. The whole thing with Galileo, science advanced by kicking and screaming. He said, objectively, this is what's going on. And the world did not believe him. They locked him in a tower. They denied him, you know, his life. And and it, it's just these, these massive advancements always come with pain. Whether you think it's good or bad is kind of by the by. This is how we advance. 95% of the universe isn't known to us. It's dark matter, it's dark energy. There could be anything there. Um, you know, a, a two-month-year-old could probably figure out more than 95% of snakes and ladders. And, and we think we know what consensus reality is. It's, it, it's crazy to me that we act as if we know what's in the world when really, we, we really don't, you, you know? Just the idea of, you know, we, we touch things isn't even true. It's forces interacting between us and, and those kind of subtleties are, are with things like quantum mania, people are going to start understanding these things in really simple ways. And, and it, it's astounding to think that someone that watches that movie and comes away kind of going, wait, so there could be life at a small scale. Like what is the quantum world? That person knows more about the universe and is more cutting edge than the average person or probably the average scientist a hundred years ago. They're just further down the path. And, and that took us all to kind of discover and repackage and pass around and talk about um, the afterlife was something that Leslie spoke about as well, which is really interesting. And consciousness studies are kind of going in that direction to kind of be like, you know, what what makes me me? You know, the, what is my damnness? Like, is it different to Nathan or Ryan? Are we all just the same thing in different bodies, having different experiences, and that makes us who we are? It, it's a really, really interesting question. I, I'd recommend that people search out some of the peer-reviewed studies on the afterlife that Leslie spoke about on that show because they exist and no one really has an answer. They're just mind blowing. But ultimately it all leads to us kind of asking ourselves, what does it mean to be human? Because our idea at the moment, you know, the body, consciousness, how we look, not every human has two legs, two arms. You, you know, we, we are all in different forms and defining something other is gonna also define ourselves in a way that we just aren't aware of right now. So as we go forward, we're going to be creating life. We're going to be manipulating matter and space. And that's going to really, really change how we see ourselves. I'd like to thank User Interviews for sponsoring this episode. When I first started promoting User Interviews a few months ago, I had a wonderful response for many of you out there who got on board early and earned some extra dollars at what's during what's a tough financial time. User Interviews connects researchers with real people like you, quality participants who earn money for their feedback on real products. Right now, there's a high demand for software developers and engineers to give feedback on products being created for developers. It's free to sign up. In less than five of our Earth Minutes, you can apply for your first study. Most studies are less than an hour and pay over $60. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-on-one -on -one interview. You get to share your opinion on top brands such as Adobe, Spotify, Intuit, Amazon and many more. I've even signed up myself and the process was very quick. If you're ready to earn extra income from sharing your expert opinion, head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. Some really good points. I just want to mention, I, I'm not intelligent enough to think about some of these crazy ideas and, and work them out from kind of start to finish. So I try and really simplify complicated things so that they make sense to me. And you know, when you're talking about people might be thinking it's crazy that you can just think of ordering your shopping and it appears at your door. And I just think, well, actually, if we've got that process almost already 
but if you look at Amazon, and I don't know if they still do them, a couple of years ago, you could order a button. For example, you could put a magnetic button on your washing machine that would link via your Wi-Fi to when you press it, it would order new washing up powder, that brand, with a click of a button. So you didn't even have to go onto Amazon, log into your account, find the washing powder, order, put in your details. All that was done already. You just clicked the button and it ordered it for you. And I think of it this way, that all you actually need now for that process to work, what you said, Dan, is how do we remove the button? Because we've got all the rest of that information and process already there. And it's like a lot of this stuff in so many stages is is there. It's just removing that one thing, like the television, you know, I'm watching the football game. Yeah, but how could I be more immersed in that? How can you get me in the TV? You know, that virtual reality side of things, how can you take away the helmet? How can you take away the glasses, the mask, the actual physical product? And it's just that next step or maybe two steps away from some of these things being more more possible and realistic than than maybe people realize. And that's the way I kind of try and break down some of these ideas. That's, that's spot on and that's so true. And you can kind of see it with, uh, you know, what Meta are doing with the, the, the VR yeah. stuff where they're kind of going, yeah, we're going to make people an avatar and they can walk around in these spaces. And people are kind of going, why? I can go outside. Like, why would I need that? Like, that system will look different when they get it right it'll yeah. kind of complement our reality it won't replace it we're not going to go into ready player one um but to to your point about you, you know entertainment and enjoying it something like Neuralink could give us an experience of you know i, I want to watch endgame and experience all the emotions of tony stark yeah. and see how he feels and how he thinks as he goes through it you know shut my brain off as i'm doing it i'm sure you'd love to watch a football game and, and be inside ronaldo's head and, and kind of experience what it's like to be ronaldo and those kind of things they're you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 years away. Like, it's it's not that far. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I've had, uh, speaking of endings, we're getting towards the end of the time for, for all of you gents as well. So I want to fire through quickly a couple of ideas. So we'll, we'll keep it as short as possible. But um, recently, a few listeners, Xander, Joe, and a few other people asked about George Knapp on Weaponized, talking about the story that Al O'Donnell revealed that they had a live being at Area 51. Um, this was told to a few different people. Your thoughts on the idea that on podcasts like Weaponize, we're now hearing these kind of stories coming out. I don't know if this was the same one, so I'm not fully up to date. And I know, Dan, you had messaged uh, on the UAP media chat maybe about this, where someone said that one of the small humanoids resembled Ross Perot, who I don't know who that is, um, but everyone's nodding on camera. So, yeah, can someone fill me in on that one? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, he, I, I, I'm not a huge political person, but I do remember when Ross Perot ran for office. Um, he's just this small, spindly dude with huge ears. He was, you know, completely like fodder for SNL for a while. Okay. I think Dana Carvey played him, if I'm right, correct right. in that. Okay. Um, so the fact that a dead alien was not so much a gray, but was. Ross Perot uh, definitely made me giggle when George Knapp brought that up. And then it also just plays into the absurdity of all of this. Yeah. Like, no, of course the alien wasn't a typical gray. It, it looked like Ross Perot, this like super obscure person who ran for office in the United States. So yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting when I heard it and uh, definitely got my attention. Yeah. Those kind of revelations, are we going to get more of those, do you think, on Weaponized? Something that stood out to me is that on the first episode, they mentioned it wouldn't just be UFOs. They would go true crime, paranormal, and that's probably a good idea because I think there's a finite amount those guys could do without starting to dip into maybe the stuff that we cover on various different shows and formats, and I don't think that's what they're going for. Um, So... Are we going to get some big revelations? I know Jeremy Corbell's already hinted at another high noon coming this Wednesday. Or do you see the podcast being more of a series? Dan, we kind of talked about that, didn't we, in the, the, before about is it going to be a continuing thing or would it be better served being six shows and it goes away for a while, six shows and it goes away for a while? Yeah, for, for me, I, I would... To be honest, I, I'd prefer them to kind of get the ducks in a row and present the information as, as whole pieces. You know, I, I can understand that in today's media landscape, you kind of have to generate hype and, and get people talking about it. And that's what spreads the message. Um, recently, after they did the muscle orb reveal, 
uh, Jeremy went on to CNN to kind of talk to them about some some things. And that connection there, you know, if, if they have more videos, it makes sense to use the connection to CNN to present them on the news program so that they're a bit more reputable going around. Um, and I say that with a pinch of salt because there's a lot of people that will be groaning at me for saying the CNN is reputable out there. But that just speaks to our point about authority earlier, right? Um, we, we need robust information presented. As much as I love these stories, they are just stories without that. Yeah, fair enough. I would agree. Um, yeah, Jeremy Corbell and, and George, you know, they're they're doing a good job of, I think, uh, bringing the energy up to the topic. Um, these sort of not like highly caffeinated sound bites in a way, like, uh, and that's kind of their thing. And, and Jeremy's great on camera. I think he's really uh, compelling when he does interviews. So I, I do think we'll continue to see some interesting nuggets come out of that. Um, I think regarding the alien, you know, tidbit, I mean, that just fits along with what we've all heard for years that they, that they're, so that to me, that just uh, adds one additional data point to that story that they're, there really was something there. Um, honestly, I've been looking a lot more at, at Ryan Graves's podcast, uh, you know, merged. Mm -hmm. I thought that, that's the production quality is really, really good. And that's yeah. what I'm looking at to see how the consensus is changing. Cause the more that he's bringing in these pilots who are just comfortable being like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a lifetime pilot. I've flown people around the world. I've got you know thousands of hours in the sky. I mean, these are the most reputable people you could imagine. And he's got them just, seems like a never ending supply of them willing to come forward and talk about their experiences. That to me is pointing at the stigma changing in a big way. Do you know, for me that the merged podcast idea though, is that a sustainable long-term podcast in terms of format? Because how many pilots can you have on week after week talking about the experience? I would love to have seen that in the format of an episode of, of Leslie Kane's series, for example, or, is that a 60 minutes piece on its own where here we have Ryan Graves, an authority because of his background and experience and, and the way he speaks and how eloquent he is. And he's a handsome guy. So he's presentable on a television show, as you will know, Ryan, um, being one yourself. <laughs> the, but, you know, is that something that's a hard hitting 60 minutes piece where he gets them on back to back to back five minutes, bang, bang, bang. And that also translates to your TikTok clips. That translates to your YouTube shorts. Here are all these pilots in an hour on a massive national stage, which I think Ryan should have with that sort of thing to go, here's here's the data being presented, as opposed to on a, a, a far less exposed platform, as big as YouTube is, merged isn't Joe Rogan, you know, where you've got bang, back that information firing off. I don't know. I just think maybe that's the kind of stuff way back at the start when Leila mentioned about the the continuation. Could that have been on some other bigger piece? I, I mean, I'll, I'll touch on that briefly, Andy. I think what we're seeing with Merged is kind of, um, this is Ryan's pitch for everything he's doing right now mm -hmm. and the progress he's made with the committee and um, with his new uh, established group yeah. Yeah, that he yep. just announced. So what I see merged as is, I don't know. I mean, none of us know like how long he's going to be doing it or whatnot, um, how many episodes there will be. But I see it as um, this is him showing this is what we need to be doing. We need to hear from the pilots. They yep. need to um, – because I, I can't tell you how many like commercial pilots probably saw – the past few episodes of these other pilots coming forward and they're like, Whoa, this is cool. Oh wait. So now there's somewhere I can go and report yeah. this. Awesome. So yeah, I, I think, you know, more than like really changing the conversation, I think what uh, Ryan's doing is enriching the conversation and adding to the data. And, um, and I think the, this committee he established in this new group uh, is only going to help. It's only going to help uh, further the data. And, uh, and honestly, you know, just keep our skies safe. Uh, like he, Ryan has said, it's only going to take one of these things to collide for like everyone to be like, holy shit, we should have been paying attention to this all along. So yeah, yeah, I see Merge just kind of a um, a really well done sales pitch for everything that Graves is doing right now with uh, with with his groups and, and whatnot. So yeah, I think it's great. 
I thought you were going to get in uh, somewhere in the skies plug at some point there, just oh, with the, the line you made, but it was close. You've got a chance to do that soon. Uh, <laughs> Dan, you've got an AI ET joke. Yeah, well, just before I kind of share this amazing, incredible artificial intelligence generated joke, uh, I, I think that's a really good way of looking at Motor, uh, Ryan. Like to me, it comes across like the Lex Fridman of UFOs, right? Just exploring that. But I think at some point it's going to expand because we're kind of getting everyone to a point where we kind of go, okay, so there's a thing here. Let's investigate. Then there's work to do. And that stuff isn't, you know, scientists aren't going to be doing podcasts every day while they're investigating this stuff. They're going to investigate and present a peer reviewed paper. So there's going to be a bit of quiet time while people figure this out. Something curious that, that, you know, if any pilots are watching, let us know because Recently this week, there were kind of some Northern Lights appearances kind of a bit further south than usual, some in the UK. And there was an EasyJet pilot that was flying from Reykjavik to, to Manchester in the UK. And he actually changed course so that people on both sides of the planes could, could see it. And I thought that was really interesting because we're constantly hearing commercial pilots saying, while I was flying, people I like, couldn't go off course. Yet this pilot did. And EasyJet were like, yeah, we're happy that this guy did that and gave our passengers a great experience. So they can go off course to take a closer look at some phenomena, um, I guess, depending on how far away it is. But, but I'm curious, like, does that mean that if there was a UAP, the pilot could just turn to, to get a better photo of it? Like, you, you know, it, it seems like a fairly cool thing to show passengers and then we would have like a mass sighting in the air, right? Um, so yeah, just to say that, but the, the ET joke. So why don't aliens visit our planet? Go on. It has terrible ratings, only one star. That's actually not bad, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is that is that from the AI, yeah? It is, yeah. I'm and, sorry, AI. South Park's already done that. Yeah, and if anyone wonders about AI and how advanced it is, and are we approaching Terminator 2 Judgment Day's levels of Skynet? No, because that's what we're using it for currently still. Um, quick thought as well. Um, Ryan, uh, MJ Jumps on YouTube had mentioned your yeah, Alex Dietrich interview that was really cool. Um, says, one thing that stands out to me is no one ever discussed the object in the water that the Tic Tac was engaging with. Is there any data or information on that quick one general thoughts i know dan we've talked about this before was it a whale was it some other kind of craft under the the water breaking the waves any thoughts gents um I, I, well i'll just say it was i'm glad he asked that and i'm glad i was able to ask her about it um the the problem here is uh she's just a pilot and, and she was sent up there to intercept the object in the air uh, she did say we went back to look for that that disturbance in the water and it was gone. Um, so, and she literally said in the interview, it was the one time I think she kind of like um, got defensive with me. She was like, "Well, what the hell was I supposed to investigate?" And I'm like, hmm, "That's you know, yeah, that's that's a good point." Um, I think what MJ Jumps is trying to say is, was there a investigation afterwards? Yeah. And we just don't know. And neither does Alex. She's not privy to that uh you know if there was an investigation post tic-tac event um it was not done by a pilot i could tell you that much it was probably someone on the carriers or in a submarine of some sort that's kind of what i'm envisioning um so yeah i i think it's a very viable question but it's not one that alex um felt comfortable really uh discussing because she said i did my job um i got back on the ship and, and i moved on with my life uh so yeah yeah, but I, ugh, God, I feel like the answers to the Tic Tac lay in the water there somewhere. So I hope there was an investigation and I hope someday we'll figure out what the hell that disturbance in the water was. Dan, I'm sure if it was an EasyJet commercial pilot, you would have expected them to turn around, point the nose of the EasyJet <laughs> liner at the water and fly down to check out what it was. Yeah, just go in, right? We have these yep. multi-domain vehicles now. I assume EasyJet are employing them to, to transit passengers. <laughs> they would have charged it for the baggage, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, their baggage is so expensive. Come on. Dan, I think we touched on it before, but again, quickly, the, the object under the water, is it is it something, is it a there there or... Was it something less special? Let's see. It, it seems that there was a there there. Uh, I really loved actually what, what Alex said in the interview because ultimately we don't know. Like what, what were people expecting? Like like you just alluded to, Andy, you know, did people expect her to just land her jet in the water and get out and investigate it? Like what, what would you even do? 
you know, something underwater isn't going to show up on radars for the planes and things like that. It could mean a multitude of things, uh, you know, so whales, like you say, a, a sub that launched something that, you know, was the technology of the Tic Tac could have been a nuclear powered something that attracted the attention of UFOs that we know happens. Um, but realistically, there, there are practicalities about this. So we kind of just have to throw our hands up and say, I don't know. Nathan? Yeah, I've always looked at that as uh, really a, hey, look over here situation. Um, because if you think about the size of the Tic Tac, the altitude they were flying at, they were at the location where they were supposed to be, but it's the ocean. It's difficult to see things, make things out, particularly if they're not moving very much. Um, and it's a, it's a strange object to begin with. So the fact that the ocean is churning in that way, it's like, oh shit, like what, you know, there's something happening right there. Oh, what, what is that also that's right there? You know, so it's, I looked at the whole thing from more of a, this is getting the attention of the pilots to look down. So that I know kind of opens up a lot of speculation, but, uh, that entire event for me, at least, you know, lends to extraordinary speculation of the, the degree to which the object, the Tic Tac, you know, anticipated and, uh, and, and was connected to those pilots and the cap point. There are just many different oddities about it that indicate a kind of level of, you know, psychological connection. Um, so could there be a technology related to it? I, I mean, certainly, but I, I, I looked at it as more of a, um, X marks the spot, you know, Hey, look over here situation. Awesome. And that's, that's something that I've heard before as well. Just, just to kind of, you know, back Nathan up there, there there's a channel called Bashar and I mean like channeling, not like a TV channel. Um, and he was asked about the Tic Tac today. Someone said, if you're being from another place, tell us about the Tic Tac. What is it? Where'd it come from? Why were they here? And he just smirked and he said, the only purpose of that encounter was for the Tic Tac to say, look at us, here we are. And on that note, gents, just think that leaves something for people to think about, I think. Uh, I'm going to ask everyone just to kind of plug what you're working on at the moment. Let folks know. Dan, do you want to kick off? Yeah, so I'm currently traveling. I'm kind of trying to put together um, a bunch of videos just based on sites that I've been seeing, uh, some, some ancient Maya sites and things like that. And in about three, three, four weeks, I'll be headed to Colombia to carry on the investigation on the mountain there of, of the light phenomena. And we're geared up with like thermal cameras and stuff this time. So we, we stand to, if it appears on the mountain, we can certainly strike off whether it's prosaic or whether we found a genuine place with ball lightning or something a little more profound. Awesome. And I think we'll have Ash on soon anyway, and, and you on and Vinny again to chat about the season two before it comes up. Uh, Nathan, what about yourself? Yeah, uh, Calling on Beings, we're continuing to uh, have interesting conversations, you know, kind of make room for uh, strange experiences um really enjoying kind of the conversation we've had lately with folks uh in the big fit area which is something new to me but really i have seen yeah uh, i've seen some of those yeah yep. very interesting uh in a lot of parallels too to, to the ufo experience um and then in liminal frames with uh with exoacademia and just continuing to kind of push this conversation forward and into some different territory um getting folks to think about uh the kind of broader implications of the phenomena um, some of which I touched on on the episode today. So yeah, that, that's the work, man. It's uh, it's different than it was a year ago. I don't know how you would, you know, you and Dan and Ryan, you would you would kind of reflect on that. Um, it's different, but it's good. Enjoy it. Awesome. And Ryan, finally. Yeah, man, I'm getting weird again. I I'm so sick of balloons. I'm sick of all of it. I'm just being honest. So at somewhere in the skies. I'm going back to my roots. I'm talking to the experiencers. I'm talking about some of the more esoteric and um, sort of occult themed stuff with all of this. And uh, yeah, next week I'm talking to uh, Fred Anderson, a Swedish UFO investigator who looked into the Swedish men in black. So that's what you can sort of expect moving forward with Somewhere in the Skies. We're going back to the stories, the stuff that really matters, in my opinion. Um, and uh yeah, yeah. Be on the lookout for the new season of Ancient Aliens right now, doing some work on there and uh, coming out with a new book in uh, just a few months now. Got the book cover design yesterday. Very stoked about that. So, um, yeah, be on the lookout for a new Summer in the Skies book in, uh, I think, May, coming in May. 
Awesome. I'll get you back on on your own to talk about that one as well. Um, and next up for me, I know what you mean, Ryan. Uh, I've got three members of the hobby group whose balloon was shot down over. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll be putting out a short preview just to let people know what's coming up. But Chris Bledsoe's on in March. Um, Ross Coulthard's coming on to answer some listener questions he never got to do last time. Graham Rendell's coming on. And I think that'll be it until April, to be honest, at this point. But other shows filling in between that as well. So listen, gents, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Nathan, stay safe in the storm. Uh, that's not an you know, analogy of the actual storm that you're going through at the it's moment. Um, Dan is merging into, if you're watching this on YouTube, one of the Simpsons characters, given his intense background. <laughs> Apologies if that's triggered anything for anyone watching, um, any strobe effects. And uh, Ryan, all the best living up there in Scotland. I uh, hope you're still enjoying it. Absolutely. I'm loving it, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Thank you, gents, and speak to you soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditated game of fateful on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz.
That UFO podcast is sponsored by Zencaster. Zencaster is the all-in-one podcasting platform that allows you to remotely record and produce your show with the highest quality audio and video. All from the main dashboard, you can find a full suite of professional tools to get your show created and published in the easiest way possible. You'll always sound at your best as Zencaster's post-production takes the headache out of audio production, setting your loudness and levels while reducing background noise with one click. Zencaster records video up to 4K to give you the perfect picture quality, whether you're in a shed or a studio. Then Zencaster will distribute your video podcast in crisp 1080p to all video podcast players. The biggest feature for me, folks, is that I get the local file recording from each guest so their audio always comes through as best as it can, regardless of any choppy internet connections. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use code UFO podcast and you'll get 40% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story.